Oh boy, episode three. They uh, they wanted us back, the general public. Surprise, surprise. But we're on location. Good to see you guys, like in person this time, because we were height of COVID and like locked away in our places. So say what up, Luke. Yeah, hello, hello. Nice to be out in the real world. Yeah, and Chris, hey. How's it going? Yeah, this is a lot better than overcall. It's good to see yeah. buddies' faces in yeah. person. Just talking to yourself in your living room when your girlfriend's like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. but we're on location today out in north van uh we got the golden hour here uh you'll see the photos in the show notes no doubt from master man luke here taking photos of the beers but uh we're at house of funk and uh chris do you mind introducing your guest yeah today we got casey foster from house of funk casey and i go back a little ways to the uh university days up there on burnaby mountain casey's a hell of a brewer and the assistant brewer at house of funk that's your title correct yeah Thank you guys for having me on the show. It's my first experience uh, as a podcast guest. What do they say? Long time listener, first time caller type situation. You can't <laughs> be that long of a listener because we've had one episode live at this point. But we appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is very cool and, and happy I could have you guys out to the brewery here and tuck into some tasty beers. I mean, if you have listened to the episodes previously, yeah, I've been a long time listener because that's, <laughs> that's one of our longest probably. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> If you made it all the way to the end, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Longer listener than me. (laughs) Casey, if you tell 10 friends about our podcast and then they tell 10 friends... We got a lot of long time. Can listen. I get a and swipe up promo code for yeah. somewhere? But, but if Foster that, 20? That in the works? Yeah, no, but you tell your 10 friends and their 10 friends, and then I can tell them about this timeshare in Whistler that we can just all go in on. It'll be great. <laughs> Money. <laughs> That's the <laughs> ultimate goal for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're just selling. We're just trying time. to get rid of one sweet up in Whistler. <laughs> we'll get there. Year round. So uh, my favorite question to ask uh, in general when I talk to brewers is how did beer find you? Uh Yeah. When I guess it'd be a good place to start when Chris and I became friends in university. I think we were both crushing a lot of the classics like PBR and Bud Light and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to say I drank Bud Light. I'm not, I'm not stooping not. to that I was, level. Man. I was big PBR guy for sure. Lucky Lager? Yeah. A few that's of those? A classic. But uh, after a while, that taste gets pretty old when you're not putting down a whole case in one night. You can't really thoroughly enjoy yourself sipping on those. And, and then you add lime and you're like, oh, you can tolerate a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> Just a bit more, yeah. <laughs> and then that gets um, boring, yeah. But my dad actually was pretty keen when he started to find out more about beers that were beyond the, the PBRs and et cetera. He found himself a bit of a hophead. He liked his pale ales and IPAs. And once I was old enough or old enough, maybe at 16, 17, we would uh, share... Count it. Yeah. <laughs> That's old enough. Share a pale ale or IPA. And I kind of remember my first moment. I'm from Edmonton. Sorry to backtrack, but... There's an awesome brewery there that's been around for a long time called Alley Cat Brewing. And I had a beer there. It's called uh, Full Moon Pale Ale at uh, a, like a food and, and beer truck, or sorry, food truck and beer festival uh, middle of summer. And uh, the Full Moon Pale Ale just blew me away. The the character of the hops and the the big aroma. And this is obviously more of a, a West Coast pale ale at the time, but I was just floored by the amount of flavor and nuance you could get out of beer that wasn't mass production lager. From there through university, once I started to seek things out, I was introduced to Brass Neck like so many other people were. My girlfriend Aaron and I went there and uh, I remember even putting it on Instagram 
not that I've got the following you guys have, but yeah, again, just floored by really what was out there in beer and, and haven't looked back since it feels like so. Right. Casey, this following you're talking about is 79 individual people. <laughs> <laughs> and counting. And rising. I'm sure a few of these are bots as well. <laughs> but we'll get there. That guy on Fiverr scammed me, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you, you started a few years back homebrewing. How did your love for craft beer and just enjoying having some good beers transition into wanting to start brewing beer and, and, and kind of taking that up as a hobby. Cause I remember I'd come over to your house and I feel like it was kind of when you were starting out home brewing and like, I could tell that you were freaking stoked by it. Uh, you had me like swirling some sort of yeast, like starter, like, so you could keep me busy. And, That's and exactly that. You're, yeah. you were my assistant brewer at that point. Exactly. <laughs> Un- unofficial title, but yeah. I could tell how passionate you were from just like you know, coming over a few times to watch you brew, but how did, yeah, you get started with homebrew? It was always just sort of the snowball effect with craft beer. I just kept going down the rabbit hole deeper. So towards the end of university, uh, Chris and I both had a friend uh, that took uh, a class that was a special topics in biology class that was actually craft beer and brewing science. And they say you don't, or some people complain they don't take much from university, but that set me on this course that I'm on now to be fully immersed in this industry and be employed in the industry, et cetera. I just found my passion, a deep passion through taking this course at SFU. And a few guys in that course were homebrewers and I started to pick up on it from there. And I actually graduated university shortly after taking that course and was fortunate enough to land uh, in a role with Phillips Brewing out of Victoria, obviously. And right then I, I, I knew I was all in. So I had been thinking about homebrewing, kind of investigating what I should be doing. And it was pretty much at that point that I, I, I bought the, the gear I needed, started small, bought the books I needed, was on forums all the time and just dived in finally. And another one of those things I never looked back at, it would, it consumed me. I just wanted to homebrew every weekend and perfect recipes that I'd already done or try the new hottest thing like brewing hazy IPA or try a kettle sour. And I just never looked back even the whole time I was with Phillips in a, in a sales role for two and a half years. I was homebrewing the whole time. I actually took a continuing studies program at SFU on the same topic, craft beer brewing science. And it just drove me further down the beer production side of things as opposed to the sales and marketing side, which led me eventually to House of Funk here. So I'm super stoked to be here and, and really fortunate that I, it feels like every step's been taking me to places that I'm, I'm happier and beer is really the, the common denominator of it all, obviously. What's one of your favorite uh, home brews that you did? Your most memorable one? Yeah. Maybe the first one that I, I finally realized that I had something going on was Hefeweizen. Um, obviously a very yeast driven beer. So the yeast really was the start of the show. And I just set the stage for the half yeast to, to do its thing and produce that beautiful clove and banana character that you can expect out of a, a well-made half, not to say it was super well-made, but once I could finally crack open a bottle of that with that nice spritzy carbonation, thick foamy head, I was just like, I couldn't believe kind of that I was able to do that. And 
I've always been a hobbyist, but to, to see success in that was something pretty cool. So, And you were pretty involved in the Vancouver Homebrew Association, right? What, like for people that don't know what that is, kind of maybe give us like a quick rundown of yeah. what the, the, the association is. And yeah. So it's uh, Van Brewers, uh, awesome collective of people uh, that advocate and support homebrewers and are a community and gathering place for homebrewers, obviously pre COVID time mostly. <laughs> yeah. There's monthly meetings. Uh, there's a very active Facebook group where people are selling their gear or upgrading and, and actively seeking new gear. You can pose questions on there and you'll generally find an answer within minutes, if not within the day. A lot of brewers, like I guess I can say myself now, got to start homebrewing and have stayed active in the community. So there's, um, for example, uh, I, I believe he was a president for a number of years. Graham With from P49 was sort of OG van brewers. So guys like that. And I know there's guys at 33 acres and et cetera. The list kind of goes on. So it's a community hub. It's a stepping stone for some, some people really social. You can talk to anybody when you're, when you're in the room with them and we have meetings at 12 Kings, which is usually pretty fun. Nice. So, and I imagine when you bring a beer there and people start trying your beer and you kind of see their eyes light up and they're like, Oh, this is a good, like, I'm, I'm liking this beer. That's probably like confirmation. Like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like if other pe- other home brewers are, are liking what I'm making. Yeah. And, and even on the other side, you can go there for constructive feedback. Right. Because totally. maybe you're not sure what's going on, but someone more experienced or, or who maybe have just experienced the same issues with their beer can help you out. There's a million and one things that you have to control on brew day. And then especially through fermentation and the types of people that you'll meet at Van Brewers are so friendly, so ready to help you, so knowledgeable. So I would highly recommend if any homebrewers are listening and not already active in a homebrew community uh, such as Van Brewers. And there's actually uh, clubs in the Fraser Valley and in, I think, the Tri-Cities and et cetera. So I'd seek out your community. It's an awesome, awesome network. So. I know there's definitely a few homebrewers listening because our following is pretty large. But I was going to say, I grew up in the days of uh, not to, you know, shit on my dad's beer, for example, but he brewed a couple batches at, uh, you know, the local, the local you brew. They turned out okay. And okay, I was like 15 or 14. And that's what I thought a beer was okay. But um, it's really cool to, so I, I always had this association with home brewing as like, maybe not the best beer, but it's really cool to see that there's this, you know, community where these brewers are like really amazing brewers that are just doing these things in really small batches and just being really intimate about it. And that's, that's really cool. So you don't have to have awesome beer in a, you know, professional brewery space. You can have something just really small scale and really refined and boutique sort of. And kind of, kind of going on that, I mean, how difficult and different is it brewing homebrew going to the scale that you're at now and then is there much of a difference between what you were doing at phillips and here in terms of brew like what's what are the technical challenges behind that super fortunate um on the creative side of things at house of funk obviously we're all about experimentation small batch and throwing caution to the wind sometimes but you can do that because we walked by and you have some pretty tiny tanks there yeah yeah, absolutely it's it's a pretty small setup in the grand scheme of things. Um, we run the system pretty hard and 
turn beer over pretty quick because we're lucky, especially when the sun is shining. Lots of people come out to the tasting room, barring any quarantine restrictions. And we're pushing ourselves into more liquor stores and pubs where, where we can. Um, a lot but, more packaging now. so Yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely a small scale brew system, which allows us to be creative, which is, is, which is amazing. And I think we built our name and our brand quite a bit around that. Um, so we've done everything from obviously a multitude of different, uh, Britannomyces fermentations, barrel age, sour beer with just a multitude of mixed cultures. Uh, we started playing around with different fermentations you might find in the food world, such as Koji, uh, and in turn sake, which are in the same realm. And yeah, we just, anybody who's got the creative bug on a day or a certain week or wants to put something forward, it's pretty much green lighted. So super fortunate. And that's where I was so lucky as a home brewer, brewing small batches, being creative and, and not having to worry about the, the end result so much other than if, if myself and my friends wanted to drink it, I've got to almost just scale my own ideas up alongside uh, the rest of our brewing team to scratch that creative itch. So we're really lucky. Whereas when I was with Phillips for a, a number of years there, the capacity at Phillips is probably well over a hundred times the size of being a, a massive regional brewery. And, and I'm, I'm super proud of having represented Phillips and, and still really excited about the beers they put out and the mainstays, like how many people have you talked to that their first craft beer was blue buck type mm -hmm. situation. But they make a lot of beer and they make a lot of really good beer really quickly and distribute it really well. So there's not really room for whimsical creativity. Uh, it's, it has to be very thought out, planned and uh, really hit the nail on the head rather than just sort of seeing what, what sticks. Because if so. something goes wrong on, one of the, on their system, like... You're dumping out a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they, they keep that thing running most, most of the day. And even through the weekend, I imagine now, uh, massive tanks. Like they, they installed six, 360 hectoliter fermenters, I believe before my time was done there. And our biggest tank here is 10 hectoliters. So <laughs> right. just a little bit bigger. <laughs> Well, let's maybe go back a little bit. And how did the position at House of Funk kind of come about? So like what made you decide um, that you wanted to, first of all, take the jump from like sales to home brewing as a passion, but now brewing as a career? And then how did, yeah, the position come up at House of Funk? Obviously, I found my passion in, in home brewing and wanted to keep exploring down that road. So Anytime I could, uh, while being involved with Phillips, I was taking opportunities to learn whether that was um, continuing studies through a, a graduate program at SFU or reading, obviously, or trying to, to mix it up with brewers in the industry as I got to know more people, just to kind of hear what they were saying or where they kind of got their experience. Because always in the back of my mind, I think I wanted to be a brewer once I knew what it was about. I, yeah, I, I bugged brewers at Phillips. I bugged brewers from local breweries because I was obviously stationed in Vancouver here being separate from the Phillips brewery. And 
it just kind of went on and on where I realized more and more where I wanted to be. And that was working in a brewery instead of out representing one, even though I had a, an amazing opportunity to do that and will always be thankful for my time at Phillips. I just, my, as time went on, I knew uh, where I was going to be happiest and that was going to be in a brewery. So I was fortunate to have met so many people in the awesome network we have in the the lower mainland and the the BC craft brew scene that I crossed paths with a friend of mine who was in the same SFU program who became a brewer at Bridge Brewing and worked with Sean Kellock, who is our head brewer at House of Funk. And he let me know, hey, Sean's looking for somebody because he had I had talked my friends here off about wanting to be a brewer and he connected the dots for me and I reached out right away to to Sean and then to Darren, our our founder. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. I got uh, got to meet them uh, in person and things happened really fast. And that's been a year and a, a bit. I, I joined the team at House of Funk just a week or two after the doors opened for the tasting room and et cetera. And it's been an awesome, awesome ride. So pretty wicked timing, right? Yeah. Kinda getting in right on the ground floor. <laughs> Amazing I mean- timing. But yeah, I was just fortunate to have met so many good people in our industry that uh, I, when the time kind of came, the the wishbone was there or whatever you might say. Yep. Like, yeah, the stars aligned at the right time, for sure. So you have a lot of, you said you have quite a bit of creative freedom here. That being said, are you still brewing at home? Uh, here and there. I have some sour beer aging away at home and also cider, which is a fun side project or just other flavors and aromas to explore that I don't really get to play with as much in the brewery. And I don't buy too much cider at the, at the liquor store or drink it at the the pub or the craft beer bar. So it's fun to play with. And that's another thing that Van Brewers is awesome for. Lots of cider makers involved. And uh, the club puts on a, a group cider buy, generally in the fall, uh, from an awesome farm out in the valley. I believe it's Taves Farms. So they they bring in... Uh, just a massive amount of uh, pressed apples for people to take home and and ferment their own way instead of buying store bought apple juice, which is usually your big your intro to cider making is is buying sun ripe off the shelf and pitching yeast to it, which is great because fermentation is often or if not the most important part of making awesome alcoholic beverages. So yeah, we've um, definitely made some accidental ciders at home before with <laughs> you find them six months later cleaning out the fridge and realize there's a carton of apple juice in the back yikes and how did it taste so it was pretty good okay. got a nice buzz on probably not going to be on tap anymore, i think though. so soon. limited quantities for sure <laughs> put your orders in now for the dregs <laughs> limited case run luke's sunripe <laughs> 2000 and dregs yeah. back fridge cider. yeah back, luke's back fridge so, uh, what, what's the fun and exciting beer that you're working on at the moment? That's uh, bubbling away in the tank down there. Uh, yeah, we've, um, being that it's kind of fruit season out and about in BC, we've, uh, we've been seeking any kind of, especially it's berry season right now, stone fruit season's upcoming. I, I saw you guys put the call out on the social yeah, the other day. Yeah. So yeah. a cool project we're, we're trying to initiate to see. Um, we're lucky enough to have so many, um, cool customers and fans, and we're hoping that some of them are, uh, keen to forage. Uh, I know a lot of people forage for mushrooms and, and different botanicals, fruits, et cetera. And the North shore is abundant with fruits, et cetera, et cetera. So we're hoping to 
engage our our customers, our fans to be a part of our our beer making experience by taking a, a bit of time out of their day, picking some berries uh, and bringing them down to the brewery and we'll make use of them in uh, some awesome barrel aged beer that we've had aging from anywhere from six months to over a year now uh, since we've opened. So yeah, fruit season is uh, is in right now. We've we've done plenty of berry picking, some different uh, herbs and spices. We're we're discovering and working internally. It's it's kind of an all hands on deck creative process. If anybody has tried something in their own kitchen or at a restaurant, they're excited about that's not a common beer ingredient. We're keen to to investigate. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Luke was on I the edge of it. On <laughs> yeah. Luke but, was on so, the edge of his seat when you said mushroom foraging. He's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, he's we have to hand you his. Yeah, maybe we need to get you involved because <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, something we'd be interested in. Yeah, obviously. cool. Yeah, I'd I'd be super interested. Uh, but that brings me to a question: What sort of quantities are useful in something like that? Like you said, somebody you know goes out, picks some berries, and brings them to a brewery what can you do with how much and what kind of what kind of things would you have in mind when somebody brings you seven blackberries and a huckleberry <laughs> yeah we when we put our call out we are asking for 3 kilograms for a handsome reward of a, a gift card to the to the tasting room however you you'd like to spend it but there's different fruiting rates for different types of berries that kind of our peers have have settled upon or at least as a good range to be in. Um, take raspberries, for example, a pretty bold fruit. Uh, you can use less them and they go a long way. More delicate fruits, obviously, then you're using more of. And leading back to our small production capabilities here and our, our growing barrel library, we don't have hundreds of barrels of sour beer ready to go at any one time. We taste our barrels as often as we can uh, to see how they're developing. And if they're at a point, we, we decide what characters we might be picking up from the beer, what might complement the beer uh, in the form of fruits or other awesome adjuncts and go from there. So we'll, we'll blend anywhere from two to maybe six barrels. And we also have fooder beer to be pulling stock from as well. So it's a huge tool in our tool belt is blending beer, especially our sour and wild and funky beer, rather than just brewing into a stainless steel tank, letting it ferment and, and mature for a, a few weeks. We take beer that's six months old or 16 months old and fooder beer that's a little bit fresher and blend it all together to create something that's greater than each of its parts. I mean, you make it sound easy, but this obviously is pretty complex. How often, like, do you find like you guys have a miss? Like, you, you've you've got an idea of something, and and you think you're gonna, you know, you're blending a fooder beer and a barrel aged beer together, like, and think it's gonna work well. How often do you find that? Oh, like this didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. The what the hell was I drinking last night? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thankfully, we we start small. Uh, we'll pull proportions of of each of the separate beers. Uh, and blend them together in in the glass like you might have in front of you right. uh, in different proportions and, and pick up different things from it. 
we take notes. We've got a big spreadsheet to, to track all of, all of our barrels and our fooders that I, I hope everybody's seen the picture of. They're pretty handsome, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. Um, we can sex sam- beast, yeah, man. we can easily sample from them just like they are or just like we might from our stainless steel tanks. So we, th- we think it through first. So we taste it out first and we can play around with 50% or 50-50 or 70-30 of, of different components some barrels are really sour, but don't really have depth of of complexity or body. And then you've got really funky barrels that are full of uh, character, but just a little flabby, a little, they just need a little life. And that's where you can kind of blend them together because acidic beer often gives a blend a bit of, a, bit of oomph, a little bit of life, but can be a little thin at times. So it's just sort of meeting in this like harmonious kind of beautiful spot with a blend and then going on to fruit or, or doing it straight up. It's just sort of the possibilities are endless versus brewing, not to say there's anything wrong with it, but brewing IPA into a tank, you're kind of wanting to get the same thing every time or within the same realm, but we're trying to create something different and that we can, there's almost beauty in not being able to replicate it perfectly the next time around. Totally. Yeah. Um, and so we've talked a lot about foraging beer and fruits and cause it's that time of year in that season, big question. Cause the next big thing on the calendar is hops. So are, is there going to be a fresh hop beer? Do you do that at all? Yeah, we're, um, putting our heads together for that a little bit. We worked with some last year and, uh, we worked with a Brett Saison base and took it in a few different directions. We even added some fruit there, but this year what we're actually thinking, and it's a, a great segue, as they probably say in your industry, <laughs> Boom, boom. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> to our, our House of Lager project, um, we're putting our heads together to come up with a bit of a harvest lager situation where we can use ingredients that are are as local to us as possible, especially obviously including our malt and our hops. And if we can craft a beautiful lager with fresh hops, but also showcase really what the hop producers locally are trying to get at with finished products. So maybe we'll be up front with our fresh hops and then a, a very subtle dry hop or what have you with the finished product of the same variety or from the same farm or same producer. But we're really kind of wrapping our heads around how we can dive more local as opposed to to bringing in our, our malt from Germany and our hops from New Zealand and et cetera. We're just trying to Right now, one of our focuses is bringing things as local as possible. So we we might be working on a harvest lager of sorts. Can we pencil it in for Van Poor's Fresh Hop 2020 share? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That's always a, a couple big of night. bottles. Yeah, <laughs> we had one of your uh, home brews in a Fresh Hop yeah. thing at Chris's place, right? That one was good. So, yeah, that one was good. And I will say, you know what? It was also good in the morning with brunch. I remember I had a little bit of the leftovers from from the growler with Sly over brunch. <laughs> Tasted quite nice. Sly was having beer before noon. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't shake my head at that. <laughs> well, uh, hey, just want to thank you so much for your time, man. It's been great learning so much about uh, what you guys are doing here and uh, whatnot. But I mean, before we wrap the show, we really need a moment of wisdom here from Luke. It's a recurring segment on the show. Oh, God. It's only had two episodes and I'm at it again. Um, careful when you're getting into hammocks or anything hanging from a point that isn't solid to the ground because they can fail on you. 
Speaking from experience? Potentially. There might have been a potential accident earlier. <laughs> Before we got up here, you fell in that thing? No, I, I just took a seat in it. And I I have this fear that comes through my body when I sit in something like this. And it's it's just from from the unknown. Because you don't know what the mount is like. Is this like a childhood trauma thing or what's I, going on here? I, I think so. I don't remember anything. I think it's the same reason I don't like horses, especially <laughs> walking behind them. Horses scare me for sure. They're just too big, right? So every, big. every episode, we're just going to unearth a new fear that Luke has. <laughs> That's just going to be our recurring segment. Yep. This time you got two. <laughs> nice. <laughs>